You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Tested. This series explores the book of 1 Peter to learn how we can respond when our faith is tested. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, hey, if you're new here, my name is Brian Mowry. Uh, You're part of uh, one church, but there are multiple locations. Uh, There are four. There's one in Kirkwood here in the city, Washington and the lake. And we're all studying the the book of 1 Peter together. And the the theme of this is tested. And and the big idea of of this... um, of this letter that Peter writes, because he writes to some some believers that were dispersed throughout all of Asia Minor, and they kind of thought, "Hey, is God taking a nap?" Because we're experiencing some trial and testing, and they thought things had gone wrong. And Peter's coming alongside and says, "No, no, no. Hey, uh, trial and testing is, is not uh, God's plan gone wrong, uh, but actually, it's all a part of God's plan." And um, uh, as you mature, you'll begin to realize that that this that trial could actually be a good thing. In fact, James, another New Testament writer, says, "Consider it all a pure joy when you experience trials of many kinds, all different kinds of trial." And so, the mature believer does not, uh, when they see trials come, they don't duck and cover, but they understand that God's going to do something great through that. Not going to make them small, but make them big. Not going to destroy them and turn them to ash, but actually refine into gold. So, mature Christians don't avoid trials, and there is no greater trial that you experience in life than the trials that you experience in your relationships. Um, I know this about you. Think about the best thing that's happened to you in your life. And I bet you it involves people. Now, think of the worst thing that's happened to you in life. And I bet you that involves people too. Um, they're they're intertwined into our life, very important, but they cause us a lot of pain and heartache. And I think there are two uh, kinds of people that this message today is going to apply to. In particular, all of God's word is applicable and um, profitable for everyone at every time, and I think it's going to be generally applicable. There's two groups of people I think it's really going to uh, serve today. Anyone who is experiencing a lack of spiritual growth, they feel like their kind of life in Christ isn't going anywhere. I think today is going to be helpful. The second group of people I think this would be helpful are those who are experiencing struggles in their relationships. And by the way, if you don't think you're struggling in your relationships, you are really struggling in your relationships. You just don't know it. So I guess this is for everyone. Um, and Peter's going to say right out of the gate is that, which is a meta huge theme in scripture, is that right relationship with God always equals right relationship with other people. There is no such thing as is, is having this great relationship with God without that simultaneously extending horizontally to other people. In fact, in order to have good relationships, you have to have a good relationship with God. It's impossible. In fact, Peter's going to tell us that. But at the same time, you can't have a good relationship with God and not have a good relationship with other people. And so Peter's going to come out and, and he's going to give us this command to love, which, you know, it's kind of like, duh, we're supposed to love. You know, even in John, excuse me, First John 2, uh, he says this, he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment. This is, not, I mean, command to love. I mean, everyone says, knows that. Everyone says that. Everyone's, any religion, any philosophy, any ism, 
that has any kind of weight at all in society says to love. This is, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. An old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, he says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Whoever is, whoever says he is in the light that is a part of Christ and hates his brother is still in darkness. He's just saying, hey, look, this, this thing, for this to be good, for your, for to have right relationship with God, you need to have right relationship with other people to go uh, hand in hand. And so this call to love isn't this kind of general sentimental kind of warm, fuzzy kind of feeling, but he's going to say it's really difficult to love people. Have you guys understand? It's really difficult to love people, especially the kind of love that I'm calling you to, because he's calling us to, as uh, as brothers and sisters, he's calling us into this, to that, to be brothers and sisters, to have this, this, he says, brotherly love, this family kind of love, which is this almost this unconditional kind of love. And he's saying this love is so robust that it's going to be impossible for you to experience outside of being born again. Impossible, he's going to say. Can't have it. The kind of love, the level of love that you're going to experience, both receive and give, is impossible for you to experience and to give outside of being born again. And then he's also going to say, though, but it's far from a given, just that you're born, you can't just be, even if you are born again, it's far from a given that you would be communicating this kind of love. You need to be growing rapidly as a Christian. Which is why he says, hey, if you've tasted from this, you're going to love like this. And you're going to put away all this negative, you know, malice, envy, slander. You're going to put that stuff away. And like, uh, like a newborn baby that craves milk, you're going to crave growth. You're going to crave to be like Jesus. You're going to crave the word of God. You're going to grow in these kinds of things. So he begins to, to lay that out because, uh, in terms of saying, hey, look, you're, you're going to have to really dig deep. Because here's what happens. What happens when someone... Um, hurts you in relationship? What happens when someone hurts you? What happens when someone violates you? What's, what happens when somebody wrongs you? How are you going to respond to them? Well, there's three kinds of ways that you can respond to someone who hurts you. Uh, one is you can go to that person and hate them. You can go get justice. You can, you can really let them have it. You can tell them what you think and you can tell other people what you think and you could, you, you know, they're going to pay and I'm going to bring them down and they're going to, they're going to get a piece of my mind and I'm going to make sure that they get their due. They hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. That's one way. The second way is you don't go to them and hate them. So you stuff it, you clam up, um, uh, you stew. And so the first option is you, is you go to them and hate them. And the second option is you don't go to them and hate them, which is the second one is the one that Gets us the most. But there's a third option. The third option is that you go to them and you love them. You are hurt. You are injured. But instead of creating this narrative in your head that not only what they've done is wrong, but they are wrong. Uh, you give them an opportunity to explain themselves. You give them an opportunity to repent. But whatever you do, you go with love in your heart. Now, which one of these is the hardest to do? Which one of these is the most loving to do? Third one super hard to love people the way Christ has called us to love people super hard it's against common sense it's against your impulses in fact that's why he kind of communicates this flesh language he says you know he talks about how the grass withers and you know it doesn't really last and he's talking about you know if you trust your impulses 
in love and in relationships. It's just like the grass that withers. It's not going to hold up. You need, the, you need the eternal word of God. You need this eternal seed within you. If you're going to love, like I'm calling you to love, you're going, it, the love of Christ, the life of Christ needs to be running through you like lightning. If you're going to love like this. So, because that's what he does. When, when you become, come in, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he, you experience a love like you've never experienced. Perfectly forgiven and loved holistically by the Father. It's, a, it's an industrial strength love. It's an agape love. It's a love that loves you despite you. And there's no love like that in all the, So you receive that love. But you also have an opportunity uh, to give that love. So on one hand, in order to love like he's called us to love, you're going to have to, you're not just, you have to be a Christian, but you also have to be growing rapidly. You have to be doing like serious business with Jesus in order to love like this. But at the same time, uh, um, on one hand, Peter's saying that, but he's also saying that it's inevitable with spiritual growth. So he's saying that when you grow spiritually, you, you do love like this. So they go hand in hand. In order to love like this, you have to be growing rapidly. And if you are loving like this, it means you, it's an, uh, sorry, if you are growing rapidly, it does lead to this kind of love. That's why Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples. Not just people who believe in him, but people who follow him, go after him, uh, seek to apply the gospel at every point of their life. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's a defining characteristic. It goes hand and hands. Notice the chain of events. He says that being purified uh, through the obedience and taking the gospel into your life, it leads to this love, this, this brotherly love, this sincere love, this earnest love, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, without deceit, without malice, without envy or slander of any kind, without hypocrisy, meaning you're not like one way over here and another way over here. Um, you know, you, you, you treat people uh, the same way all the time. You're not saying, you know, hey, you know, I love people, but, you know, I'd really like to give her a piece of my mind. Or I love God, but, you know, I just, you know, I can't, I can't stand this group. I can't stand this person. He's saying, that's not, you got to put that away. If you're going to love, like I'm calling you to love. If, Peter's saying, if you're going to love the way Christ is calling us to love, You've got to put that away because it's counter, hear me, it's counter to the grace that you've received into your life. So here's the deal. The blood of Jesus has, it says in Ephesians 2, the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, it broke down this barrier. It broke down the hostility between us and God. So what could possibly pay the price of our infinite eternal um, offense against God? What could possibly break down this barrier, this cosmic barrier between us and God? Well, it's the blood of Jesus. And it, and, it, and it simultaneously says that this blood of Jesus also breaks down the hostility between people. And so when you either knowingly or unknowingly, and it can happen both ways, begin to build up hostility between other people, you're actually going, you're working against the, the work of grace and God in your life. And so when you find out like, oh my gosh, I may be hostile towards someone. I may have malice towards someone. I may be envious of someone. I may be slandering someone. I may be doing this. This should be like, oh my gosh, I need to get away from this because this is actually contrary to the, to the, to that the blood of Jesus paid for, the work of the cross. It's also against the work of the, the, the Holy Spirit. How many know that when you became a Christian, you had the Holy Spirit came and lived inside you? How many, you guys know that? You know what it also says about the Holy Spirit? It says the Holy Spirit, it says it stays inside you 
and can never, ever leave you. Will never leave you. The Spirit of God will never leave you. Isn't that good news? It's always with you. Good news for you. Sometimes bad news for him. In Ephesians um, 4.30, it says that we wound the Holy Spirit. It says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. And the word grieve means to injure or to wound. That we can wound the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Through malice, through envy, through slander, through division, through slurs. We wound the Holy Spirit. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is, is uniting you to God and it's uniting you to other people. And every time that you slash out a careless word, you slash out a careless emotion, it is wounding the Holy Spirit. This is serious stuff. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, says in 1 John 4. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he, has, um, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to, I want us to take stock of our relationships. Uh, Proverbs 4.26 says, ponder the, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Because I hear, you know, you hear this like, you know, this is my heart. This is what I want. I want to love, you know, I, yeah, anybody, if I was to take a vote, how many here want to love people? Yeah, I want to love people. Raise your hands, please. Or leave. <laughs> Gosh. All right. Um, yeah, you, you do want to love people. That's the right answer. Okay. We all should, we, I, I would guess that we would all want to love people. Now, here's what I know. Intentions do not determine your direction. Or excuse me, intentions do not determine your destination, your direction does. If you get on I-55 North, but you want to go to Kansas City, you're not going to Kansas City, you're going to Chicago. You can want to go to Kansas City, but if you're on a path that leads to Chicago, you're not going to Kansas City. I know we all want to love, but here's, here's something that we need to do. We need to ponder the path of our feet to make sure that all of our ways are sure. We have to ponder how we're treating each other to see if we're truly walking in love. And by the way, if we're not walking in love, the big idea is what? That if we're not walking in love for our brothers, we're not walking in love for God. If we're not, if we're not seeking to tear down these barriers, we're seeking to build them up. If we're not growing in love, for, but we're, not, we're not growing spiritually. We've gone off track. We need to ponder the path of our feet. So where are your feet taking you? Is your heart clean toward people? Can you be positive toward people who are criticizing you? Can you affirm people even if they're annoying you or harming you? Do you believe the best about people? Are you touchy? Easily angered? Easily offended? Nobody can say anything to you. You just go off. What kind of love are they talking about? We talk about two, he says, two, he says it two different ways. He, first of all, he says a sincere love. A sincere love. A true love. Sincere love is always truthful. If, to be a loving person, to walk in love, it means that you crave truth. You crave biblical truth like a newborn baby craves milk. It's very, very dangerous to equate um, love with truth. Uh, tolerance and acceptance as the ultimate expression of love. I'm not saying it's not a part of love, but to say the ultimate expression of love is acceptance and, and tolerance. 
uh, is very, very dangerous. So you can't be negative around me. You can't disagree with me. You can't, you can't get in my way. You can't oppose me. You can't say anything negative. But that flies in the face of A, the Bible, but B, also common sense. I mean, if you see someone harming themselves, um, tolerance is not unloving. It's loving. Excuse me, intolerance is not unloving. It's loving. If you see someone harming yourself, it's not like you, you, you want to get in the way of that. You want to stop someone from harming themselves. And so tolerance and acceptance cannot be the ultimate expression. Now, there is a tension. There's a tension between telling the truth and, and loving someone. We all feel that tension. You see someone harming themselves and you want to tell them the truth. You want to speak truth to them, but you also know that words, that these words can hurt them, at least short term. And so the thing that we do to kind of, um, that I want to push up against, uh, that, that causes us to chicken out and not, you know, tell people the truth is like, well, if I, if I say this to this person, it's going to hurt her. And to that I say baloney. You're not worried about how she feels about this. You're worried about how you feel about this. You're worried about how you're going to feel when she's not excited when you tell her this. You're worried about how your emotions. You're worried about you being seen as the bad guy. You don't want to be the bad. I don't. No one wants to be the bad guy. And so, because you don't want to be the bad guy, you don't say anything. But let's be honest. Let's be. Let's be honest. We don't withhold truth most of the time. Most of the time. We don't withhold truth because we're worried about how the other person will feel at, it, at our core. We're worried about how we will feel after they respond. You know, you're not my friend. You know, how can you say this to me? Da, 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 da. And you're like, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be seen as judgmental. I don't want to say these things. Look, I something I learned a long time ago about loving people is you have to be willing to be misunderstood. Can I get an amen from the parents? If you're, if you're not yet a parent, you're a teacher. You know that too. To love people, you have to be willing to be misunderstood. It's just impossible. So you, to adequately and sincerely and truthfully love people, you have to get beyond that. I remember the first time, um, that I said something, someone with loving intent, I told truth to someone with loving intent that was misunderstood. I was 26 years old. I just started uh, leading uh, groups of people. And, um, and I, I had this thought then that, you know, that, that all of God's sheep were, were well-adjusted and, and humble and like really wanting to grow. And, and, um, but I learned that some sheep bite. Like, and... Um, and especially, and sadly, sometimes the injured ones, the ones that have been hurt the most, who actually need love and truth the most, bite the hardest. And uh, it's really challenging, actually. But I remember thinking, like, I remember the first times, like, man, I've got some insight, I think. That's, it, seem, it seemed somewhat obvious. To, like, I got some insight. I think it's really going to help this person. And they're going to be so happy that I told them. They're going to they're love me. They're going to, they're gonna, like... I'm going to be like the godfather of their children. They're going to put a picture of me like above the mantle. They're going to be so thrilled with me. I think they did put a picture of me above the mantle, but not to, but to throw things at. I think, that, I think it's how it ended. It, they misunderstood me, and it hurt really bad. Um, it absolutely, it, it devastated. I wanted to quit. 
I'm a pretty headstrong guy and I wanted to quit. And, but I learned that if I'm going to really love people, love them with the truth, I'm going to have to risk being misunderstood. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse or bountiful are the kisses of an enemy. The guy or girl that stands next to you and smiles, oh, you're so wonderful. You know, just love you so much. And you're just, everything you do is awesome. And all oh, you, you know, we're just, it's not always a good guy. Sometimes, and this verse is true, which we believe it is, the best guy is the one who says the hard things. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are plentiful are the kisses of an enemy. You need a guy or a girl in your life who's willing to have the hard conversation. Who's willing to talk it through, pray it through. And I'm not very popular with you right now, but I really got to say this to you. And I know you're, I, I'm going to be misunderstood. I know you're not going to understand this. But you need someone in your life who's going to say this to you. And it hurts. That's why the pro- proverb says it is a wound. It's like a doctor has to wound the patient to heal them. The truth wounds before it heals. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends who regularly rebuke you? If you don't have friends who regularly rebuke you, newsflash, it's not because you're awesome. <laughs> because nobody is. Nobody's, nobody, everybody, I mean, first of all, if you believe in the gospel, I realize not everyone here believes in the gospel. If you believe in the gospel, one of the things you believe about yourself is that you're a terrible leader of your life. That's what you admit when you come to the foot of the cross. I cannot lead my life. Part of God's grace in the gospel, but part of the other part of the gospel is that he loves you way more than you could ever imagine as well. And he puts in, and he gives you the resources and he leads you. And one of the things that he gives you is other people. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have friends who regularly rebuke you? When's the last time you've been told by a friend that you're going in the wrong direction? Do you have friends like that? If you don't have friends like this, um, they're not very, you don't have any mature Christians in your life. If you don't have friends like this, they're, they're not willing to love you this much. Now, I'm not putting them down because Like I said before, this isn't common sense that we love people like this. This is against our impulses. You need the spirit of God in you and not only that, but you need the life of Jesus running through you like lightning. You need to be growing spiritually in order to love people the way Christ has called us to love people. But if you don't have someone who's willing to be truthful to you like this, you need to add to your circle of friends someone who will do that. Proverbs 9, 8 says this, Do not reprove a scoffer. Do not reprove a fool, in other words, or he will hate you. One of the reasons why you may not have anyone telling you truth because they're actually listening to this verse. Every time, every time I try to give advice, they, they, they go nuts. 
It says, don't reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Who wants to, I don't want to be hated. Well, if you, if you lash out at people every time they speak truth to you, that is not the way of the wise. That is the way of the fool. Because here's what the wise does. The wise man, he will love you. He will embrace that. He will say, I want to hear more. And lean away. And so if the foolish thing to do when someone comes to you and speaks truth, whether it's publicly like this, or it's privately, the fool will recoil and try to think of any reason why you're wrong. The wise person will lean in and think of any reason why you're right. Because nothing to hide. He has nothing to prove anymore because he knows he stands upon the righteousness of God. He knows he's loved by the Father. He knows these things. He also knows that he's capable of doing bad things. Because he's not walking in the perfection of Christ yet. And won't until he's on the other side of heaven. First John says it. Anyone who says he's without sin is a liar. Calls God a liar. How do you call God a liar? It's when you walk around as though you never do anything wrong. If you're this person that like just pushes off truth, you just push it off. And maybe you, maybe you have been hurt. And, and in most cases, people who, who reject this kind of input in their life have been hurt. Um, I'm begging you to do something about that today. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. You know what that means? It means if you're living with an offense... What you're doing is you're building up this fortified city around your life that you think is protecting you, but it's, it's, it's hurting you because the thing that you need the most, you're, you're shutting out of your life. An offended brother, an offended sister is an unyielding city. It just will not, it will not let anyone in. If you are in this place, I am begging you to do something about that today. Do not live with an offense. It will destroy you. You're not, you're not actually hurting the other person. That's one of the, things, that's one of the lies we think. Is that if, if, I, if I stay angry. That, that way I can, I, I can get that person back. I heard someone say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison. And expecting the other person to die. That's what it is. Just let it go. And you have the resources in the gospel. To do just that. And I'll lead you through that in a bit. So on one hand, we, we can... So one side of the horse is like we, we, can, we can tell... We can tell people... We can not tell people the truth. And, and not be loving. Now, just... It's worth mentioning. I don't think we... But we do, most of us don't fall on this side of the horse. But it's worth mentioning... Um, that you don't just tell people the truth... Because you want to get something off your chest. You don't just say to someone... Let me give you a piece of my mind... Drop it and then walk away. That's not, it's not what we're uh, uh, talking about here. There's a right time, there's a right place, there's a context. Telling someone that, trying to love someone like this is like, it's like the precision of a scalpel, not the blunt force of an axe. And so you go in there very carefully, very lovingly, and sometimes you go in and you have to back away and then you have to go back there again and you, you kind of keep coming, you know, what's the best way to do this? Can I bring any anesthesia to the table and numb the pain a little bit? How can I soften this? What's the right way? What's the right, you know, check your words. Uh, sometimes I'll write down what I'm going to say 
just to like read it to myself and just, you know, is this, is this the most loving way I can see? And still sometimes it doesn't go, it doesn't mean it's going to go well. It just means you're trying to say this in the best possible way you can. But if you're, though, if you're on the receiving end of truth, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be careful how you hear. They say the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Sun is like the truth in our lives. It'll either melt you or it'll harden you. The only difference between those two scenarios, hardening and melting, is the, prop, the internal properties of the substance. What is the condition of your heart? Are you this fortified city that just... Every time someone says something, you just build a wall taller and taller and taller? Or do you allow the truth to melt you, knowing that it leads to life? To love is to be sincere, but also to love is to be earnest. Uh, The word earnest is a very interesting Greek word that means to continually strive. Uh, It means to be stretched to the limit. It's the same word that was used to describe how Jesus prayed in the garden. When he was praying in the garden, it says that he was so overwhelmed that uh, he was sweating what looked like drops of blood. And it says this is how he prayed earnestly. It means to pray strenuously. And I've I've started running recently uh, with the idea of like achieving a certain distance. Um, And I won't tell you that distance because I don't want anybody to feel bad. Um, (laughs) Namely myself. And so... um, Here's the thing about physical exercise, and I think uh, running in particular. Um, the more you do it, the more strength that you, the more energy you have. The more you exercise, the more energy you have. The more energy you have throughout the day. But while you're exercising, you feel like you want to die. Is that is that what exercise is like to you too? I mean, that's the way it is to me. I don't care if I'm working out for ten minutes or thirty minutes. The last, I always want to quit five minutes early. And I'm thinking of every reason. To quit, you know, if, if I maybe you know, if I quit now, then something else I can do something else good. But I just I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I want to. I, I don't. I want to quit. I don't want to keep going because it, it's hard and it's painful and it's strenu- strenuous. I mean, they have this thing. You've heard this thing called a runner's high. I mean, it's a total myth. The only thing that <laughs> the only the only time running feels good is when you stop. And so, it's just strenuous, strenuous. So that's what gets a clap. All right. Jeez. Um, It's odd, though, that the thing that gives you more strength in life is the thing that drains you the most. And the opposite. And if you've ever been sick for four or five days, basically bedridden, and then you're, you're done... And then you're done being sick, and then like you go wake up to go brush your teeth, and you like exhausted. You want to go back to bed. It's like you've been sleeping for five days straight. You think you would have more energy, not less energy. Well, the way our bodies are worked is that we have to. That the more stress we put on our bodies, the more energy it creates for the rest of life. You know what? Loving is just like that. Some of you find it very difficult to love, because you're not willing to be strenuous in your love. You have this mythical view of love that love is supposed to be rainbows and butterflies and it's supposed to make me feel good. But that's just not true. It's, it's like exercise. If you want more energy in your life, you exercise. If you're willing to, to be strenuous in it, 
It gives you energy. Same way with love. Love has to be strong. So if you give up, if you give up in, in a relationship, it's not going to make your life better. It's going to make your life worse. I mean, it's all relationships, but one study caught my eye out of the University of Utah. They surveyed um, people who, uh, who, some people who got divorced and some people who didn't. Five years later, out of the people who got divorced, 80% of them said that they're not happier and most of them said that they, they're experiencing the same relational problems that they had in the first marriage. There's another group in the same study who stuck with it. And 78% of those people who stuck in the marriage five years later reported being happier. Now, that's, it's not, it's, it, that's a study about marriage, but I think that's true of all relationships, and it's not because a study discovered it. It's because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we, can, when we are strenuous in our love, and we don't give up, and we stay in there, it actually increases our capacity to love. And the more we're able to love, guess what? Our relationships magically get better. I wonder why that is. Just like the more you exercise, the more energy you have. Now, if you don't like to exercise, everything drains you. If you don't like to be strenuous in your relationship, every relationship is going to eventually disappoint you and drain you. And you'll be incapable of loving. And it's always somebody else. It's always what people are doing to you. When you don't realize that it's in you. So we have to be, we have to be strenuous in our relationships. We have to fight through some things. Um, Christian love doesn't give up on people. But it sticks in there. Which is why we have to put away malice and anger. We have to forgive. We have to believe the best. And forgiveness, if you, if you want a good, you know, how do you know if you've really forgiven someone? Well, you've forgiven someone when you feel like you can open up your heart to them. In Ephesians 4.29 it says, forgive one another, being tenderhearted. And that word being tenderhearted means to open your heart up to them. So forgiving someone isn't, when you've closed the loop of forgiveness, isn't, if, you're, if, if you've forgiven someone, it means that you should be able to see them in the grocery aisle and not go the other way. It means that you should be able to see someone and not want to vomit. It means that you should be able to see someone and actually go to them and wish them well. That's what it means to be tenderhearted. Now, I know there are some crazy exceptions of, of danger and actual physical abuse that I think are the exception and not the norm. So please, let's set that aside. Doesn't, I'm not saying there shouldn't be, there's not wisdom in keeping distance from people. Uh, but by and large, the, the, the bulk of our relationships. We have forgiven someone when we, can be, when we can open our heart back up to them again. doesn't mean that we have to be, we're best friends with everyone, but it means that we can genuinely say, you know what, I, I love you, I'm praying for you, I want good things for you. That's what it means to forgive. When, you, when someone forget, wrongs you, you can have malice, you can avoid, you can go the other way, you can hope they get their due. Or you can be strenuous in your love for them. You can go to the person. You can make it right. You can put away malice. You can put away deceit. You can put away hypocrisy. You can put away slander. You can put away wanting them to, you know, to somehow pay for what they've done. See, and how we can do this isn't somehow drumming up our own strength. 
I mean, that's why in the middle of that text, it says, it says, you know, that's, you know, the, the efforts of the flesh are like the grass that withers. If you're trying to put, like, if you're trying to get energy, like, hey, I'm going to go love better and I'm going to do this in my own strength, that kind of energy just fades like the grass. But when you rely on the eternal word of God, when you rely on your, what, the, the gospel and the salvation, that seed, that imperishable seed that he has put in you, and you water that thing and, and crave spiritual milk, you crave growth. When, when that thing, when, when, you, when you do it that way, here's how, what it looks like. You look at Jesus. You look at the offense that you were before his eyes. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You look at the cross and you look at the fact that he was strenuous in his love for you all the way to death. How far, how far do we strain to love others? We strain that far. Self-sacrificing. We look to him and we see that he's forgiven us of an eternal debt. A debt that we can never even scratch the surface on paying back. We look at this. And we say, hey, while he was being torn to pieces physically and spiritually for me, for my sin, I can, and he forgave everyone, I can forgive those who tear me apart emotionally, who hurt my feelings. I can forgive them. I can love them. Because my focus isn't on me And what people owe me, my focus is on what I owe Jesus and the price he paid for me. That way I can sufficiently love others. You will not have the resources to love others unless you are born again. And you will not have the sufficiency to love others the way you could unless you are growing rapidly as a Christian. And so the call to us today is to put away, take take that old life off, take that old way of thinking off, things that are contrary to the gospel, contrary to, I know you've been hurt. I know there's pain and there's suffering. But just like Peter has been trying to encourage us all, through, all throughout his letter, behold the gospel, look at Jesus, look at what he's done, and that will give you the power to put away deceit, to put away evil, and to love people in a way that you never thought you could love people.